morning. Today is Tuesday, September 13th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening. Whether it be over the air, online, or through an app, I'm just so glad you're here. Settle in. Open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates and publishes and distributes books that are Bible-based and Christ-centered, Reformation-driven. So when you get a moment, visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. On Fridays, I start the show by pulling from the listener mailbag, and I share some of your comments and answer your questions live on the air. And speaking of live, we're live today. So call in with your comments or questions at 800-730-2727. But for today, we continue our visit to the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was filled with temples and shrines dedicated to a large diversity of pagan gods. Now, while the large temple of Aphrodite is well known, there were also places to worship Apollo and Athena and Demeter and Palaimon and Sisyphus, as well as Egyptian deities like Isis. The Isthmian Games held in Corinth, which were kind of like the Olympic Games, a little smaller, though, well, they were centered on a temple to Poseidon. So you see this myriad of pagan gods was being worshipped, and it, and it stood in stark contrast to the unity of the one true God of the Christians and the unity that Paul was calling Christians to have in the body of Christ. Today, he addresses some of those divisions as we move into chapter 3. Paul is frustrated with the cliques and the cults of personality that are springing up in the congregation. So to explore how he addresses these concerns with us is my guest, the Reverend John Lekomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio. Pastor Lekomsky, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's good. It's good to be back, uh, 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 Pastor Boo. Good to be talking to you again. In fact, I have a question. It's, it's been about a month now that you're doing uh, uh, this uh, program. So, so how's it going? Because I don't know if people realize this is just a side gig for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're a, you're a full-time pastor as well. So everything going good for you? Well, things are going very well. Yeah, it has been a while since our first time together, which also happened to be my very first show. And if anyone who was listening at that time, you might recall that the show had quite a few technical difficulties at the very beginning. (laughs) It turned out those were mostly my fault. No problem. Took care of them. And now a month in, I think a lot of that's been sorted out, or at least I hope so. And as for me, things are going well. Yes, I am the full-time pastor here at St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, as I say at the top of every show. But this is a wonderful congregation of people here in southwestern Minnesota. We're very close to Sioux Falls, practically in South Dakota, uh, also right north of Iowa, just down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth people, just an amazing congregation to serve. I'm also the hospice chaplain for our local area, so I'm sometimes busy doing that, too, being with people of all different types of faith and occasionally people with no faith at all in the last moments of their life. And that's also a blessing. I've been doing that 
uh, this entire year or for about a year. So I've just uh, I have lots of things going on. But, you know, the KFUO is also a bright, shining blessing in my life to be able to spend time with pastors like you and study God's word. You know, I think I mentioned before, but it bears repeating that pastors spend a lot of time in God's word, but oftentimes they're, they're doing it for the benefit of someone else. You know, they're studying for sermons or for Bible studies, but thy strong word has become part of my, my personal Bible study. And so it's great to be able to not only uh, talk with other pastors and see their perspectives and learn from them, but also, you know, just uh, be able to talk theology over the air and hopefully other people are benefiting too. And based on people writing in, it sounds like they have. So I'm just excited and I'm glad to have you back. Well, and I tell you what, I, I'm glad to, to hear that it, it's fun for you uh, because, uh, again, if people haven't been in the ministry, they don't realize how time-consuming that is and, and how you're on call 24 hours a day. Thank heavens people usually don't call us at 2 in the morning, but they could. Uh, uh, and and uh, so, so but, but like you said, the other thing for me when I was in the ministry, it's doing what we're doing now that actually – gave me the strength to go and do the more difficult things because to be involved in the word of God. Yeah. It's, that's always a thing that it encourages and, and restores faith. So good for you. I, I'm glad. And, and we're, we're praying for you because I know even, even though it is a, a joy, joyous thing, it, it's a burden too. It, it's, it's a, it's hard work. That's what it is. So uh, blessings on you, uh, Pastor Boo. And by the way, do you mind? Can I just call you Phil and you just call me John? Would that be okay? I feel like we know each other well after all this time. <laughs> well, you know, I always like to uh, respect the guests. And if that's your preference, I'm happy to call you John. So oh, um, our... Uh, yeah, let's see what before... you call me, Reverend. I'm thinking, who's he talking about? <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> sure. That's so... So, uh, but before we before we get into the word, and we have a lot to do today, uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. And I would oh, invite Lord, you to join us for that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, yeah, oh Lord, this. I wish sometimes Paul would just a little be clear about what he's talking about. And we have one of those chapters where we scratch our heads a little bit and say, what, what exactly do you mean here, Paul, about uh, they had to treat them like infants and couldn't give them salt? But, but, oh, Lord, we know that that's to remind us that there's no understanding of Scripture by our own wisdom. In fact, that's what Paul is teaching here. Our wisdom is just folly. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, as Paul promises, help us to see what these words mean and, more importantly, what they mean for our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, in Jesus' name, bless this Bible study. Uh, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, we have the entire chapter to get through, so I think it'd be prudent for us just to get some, some verses under our belt. And I'm going to read through verse 9. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
For neither, for neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Again, Paul's going to be building upon each and every sentence is purposely put out there, thought out, inspired by the Holy Spirit. His arguments go on for a long time, but we're just going to stop there just to try to dissect and digest what he's saying. But let's begin at the very beginning. He's talking to the believers in this church. He says, but I brothers, but of course, he's not just talking to the men. He's talking to all the believers. He says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Sounds like he's probably talking about this, uh, the faith that he had delivered to them. And now he's worried that they're returning to immaturity. Or maybe he's calling them out for their immaturity. How do you see this, Pastor? Well, I actually feel I was going to ask you, what do you make out of that business that I fed you with milk, not solid food for you're not ready for it? I, 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 I've got some thoughts, but I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm right or not, because it's just a difficult <laughs> phrase. So I'm just wondering, what, what do you do with that? I think it's the for me, it seems to be the, the obvious, right? We have like in Hebrews. For, you know, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again on the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. And Peter says the same thing in First Peter chapter 2. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So whenever someone is new to the faith, and I think it's harder for, for most Lutherans to understand this because we literally are infants when we come to the faith. But in my experience growing up in traditions where certainly children were brought up in the faith, but they typically weren't pushed very hard to take their faith seriously until they were of some sort of age of accountability or something. But you see this zealousness. You see this eagerness when people are ready to be on fire for the Lord. They've come to faith. They can literally remember the moment when they did not believe, and they now remember the moment where they do believe. And so everything they get is something that's new and something they contemplate in their heart. And that's not a bad thing, but especially with things like the Internet. But back in Paul's day, they had plenty of outside influences, too. Not everything they get is easily digested. So you have like an infant and you give them very special milk. The best milk, of course, is mother's milk. Uh, but then, of course, there are specially formulated formulas in our day and age. But back then, you wouldn't just give them a piece of steak. You wouldn't give them a piece of chicken. You would give them milk. You knew they could digest that. And so even in this day, we see people who are receiving just too much information too fast and their zealousness to be on fire for Christ can sometimes lead them astray. And Paul, I think, was talking the same way. You know, he's giving them just a little bit of milk, the milk that they need, the things that they can digest. But here we have a congregation who is zealous and they're ready. They're ready to be in charge. Sort of like when we talked about in chapter two, when they, they think of they think of the, the apostles as leaders and they want to be leaders, too. And Paul lays it on the line of what it really looks like to be an apostle. And so they're searching out all these different things. They're living in a culture of all these different opinions. And yeah, they want to know. They want to know. Like, we just want to know all the good stuff, but they're not quite ready. And he says that you weren't ready for the solid food. And even now you're not ready. And I think that's because, as he says in verse three, you're still 
of the flesh, which is demonstrated by them not living out their Christian faith. So to know faith is not to uh, is not equal to living it out. Did you have a different thought? Well, well, there's just there's all kinds of interesting things in here. I, I think one thing that we really need to focus on is Paul. He is criticizing them. There's no doubt this this is not <laughs> he's not complimenting them. Uh, and I think you have a great point there that they wanted to be wise. They wanted to be the leaders. And Paul said, "Oh man, you're you're nowhere near ready for that yet." Uh, and yet he he still calls them brothers, which I think is is really really important. Because uh, even in their weakness, they, they are still brothers because they're still, and I don't you love that? They're infants in Christ. So there definitely is a maturity issue here, but they're still the infants in Christ that they haven't lost that. Uh, I think it's also really profound that, that he says, your, your problem is you're not spiritual, but you're people of the flesh. But, but please note, he doesn't say what he said in the verses immediately before this. Because there he contrasted the spiritual people with the natural people. And the natural people, he said, they have nothing. They can't understand anything because you don't understand it by nature. It's got to come by the Spirit. So, yeah, now you, you haven't fully comprehended things the way they should be spiritually. You're still in the flesh. Uh, but no, no, you're not natural people. I'm not, and, and you're brothers, and you're infants in Christ. So, so it's it's not that you've lost at all, but but you're right. That, that there's an issue here, um, and and it is interesting that the the word flesh there, because he talks about them being people of the flesh, and then again he says, uh, you are not, are you not of the flesh? Uh, you are still of the flesh, but the words there are are, are not the same word. Uh, and, and so the idea is, is that when a person starts out in Christianity, we expect them to be a, a little childish, a little immature, a little fleshly, because uh, Christianity, um, oh, man, it's something totally different. <laughs> There's nothing in the world like it. Uh, and in fact, it is so different to the, to the way the world thinks. To the world, it's, it's just folly. It's just foolishness. That's what Paul said earlier. I'm sure you covered all that. Right. Um, but 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 now he says here, here the problem is you shouldn't be you shouldn't be immature anymore. You shouldn't be infants. My goodness, you've been Christians long enough. You should be growing, should be older. Uh, but now that that fleshliness still inheres in you. So it, it's just it's an interesting question. Uh, um, I, I wonder, though, if it doesn't relate, Phil, to what we're going to have later on about foundation. I wonder if the the uh, immaturity is that we start building things on the foundation that are just wood and and uh, hay and and grass and things that are not lasting and permanent and and we're having trouble distinguishing between what the foundation is and the stuff we've built on top of it um, and and so in our maturity then that stuff gets burned up and we begin to find out what really is the foundation and what is gold and silver and what what lasts and, and what doesn't. Um can I give you a couple examples and then you tell me whether you think this fits what we got here or not. Go for it. All right. So I, I think when we come into Christianity, we bring our, our traditions with us. Uh and, and we forget that that's all they are. They're they're just traditions. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that they're bad, uh, but it means that there's something different than what the foundation is. This whole business we're going to hear over and over again. And we heard already that it's God who gives the growth. Everything's built upon God. Everything's built upon Christ. So, so I'll give you a practical example 
uh, and I, I hope I'm not stepping on toes here, but one of the controversies that I've dealt with since I've been in the ministry since uh, the 60s is that um, how often should we take communion? And, and I was of the time when we were introducing having communion twice a month rather than just once a month. And I can remember uh, some of the older members thinking that was just horrible. That was terrible because the tradition was we have communion once a month. And my, oh, what, what will happen if you start offering it every other Sunday, Pastor? I mean, the world might come to an end and, 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 and what have you. And so there is that kind of immaturity. Well, this is, we have this practice of once a month. And if we do anything else, this is, see, and, and so we kind of get that here. So no, we need to do the way Paul, oh no, we need to do the way Apollos does it. When, and really, whether you do it once a month or every other week, that, that's not the issue. Uh, and of course, what's going on now is we've got a lot of people that say, "Oh, we have to do it. Have to do it every Sunday. Every Sunday. That's that's the way to do it." And, and, and I'm thinking we're all missing the point. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with what Sunday. It has to do with the fact that it's His body and blood given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, and therefore we should want that and desire that because who doesn't need to be forgiven? And we should do it frequently. Uh, but when we get all wrapped up in the various traditions surrounding that, well, then we built our wood and our straw on the foundation. And of course, in the end, that'll all get burned up. So I, I don't know. I, I was thinking that that may be part of it, that, that we have. Well, all I agree with things. you using using your your specific example. I agree with you in part if the reason why you want to have communion every Sunday is because there's some tradition that has it every Sunday, then you actually have the the wrong foundation in mind. But if you want to have communion every Sunday because of the reason you gave, that is the true blood, body and blood of Christ, which forgives our sins and us as constantly in needing of this forgiveness. And we should receive it whenever we gather for this benefit and you're seeking the benefit in faith. then that sounds like a pretty good reason. So it sounds like what's going on in the Corinthian church has maybe a little less to do with this idea that, well, we have all these old traditions that we want to keep up, which definitely is a problem in today's world. Maybe first century, it's a little different. You know, they're thinking of these mysteries. They're thinking of this new knowledge that they've received as infants. And then they see in people like Apollos or even Paul or, or Cephas, you know, Peter, they see these dynamic preachers, these guys who come along and they're exciting, they're new, they're fresh, or at least they're different than what they're used to. And so they cling to them. And so Paul sees these divisions, sees these cults of personality springing up and says, no, that's a childish way of behaving, you know, and then to connect it to your idea, it would be childish to say we should only have communion once a quarter because, well, that's how we've always done it. Just as it would be childish to say we should have communion every Sunday because that's how we've always done it. But in reality, the deeper person, the more mature Christian says, well, why do we have communion or why do I prefer Paul over Peter? Maybe there's a reason. But if the reason is merely, well, they're just more exciting or they're better preachers or they're more eloquent or they dress nicer, then those are childish things. And clearly the reasons why the Corinthians were gathering around these individuals were for immature childish reasons. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't be calling them that, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? 
Oh man, see, I, and I, I agree with you, and, and I think we're really getting at the truth of it now. So, so what is it that draws us to this thing? Is it because of Christ and His Word? Well, then, then it's a good thing, and and, and it, we don't we don't care one way or the other as long as it's coming from Christ and His Word. But so there you go. That's the problem. So now we like Apollos because, like you said, maybe he's a better speaker uh, than what. But the Apostle Paul is, and, and and Paul complains, you know, that he really doesn't, he doesn't really look very good. Paul is not very, very impressive. Uh, um, so, so, but again, those are all immature things, uh, where, whereas the, the, the foundation and the truth is, is about Jesus Christ. And, and see, see, I would work at the same thing with communion. If we think that, okay, because we're having communion every week, that makes us better than the Christians from 40 years ago who only had it once a month. They, no, that's immature too, because those guys were really fine Christians and they took it once a month because they believed it was the body and the blood. Uh, um, so you're right. Every generation has to wrestle with the things that they're putting on top of the foundation. And some things are really good, like you said, to have communion every week because we want everyone to have the opportunity to have that body and blood for their forgiveness of sins. Man, you can't go wrong with that. That will be gold and silver, and I don't care what fires come, that will still be lasting. But when we begin to play Paul off of, of Apollos, or we begin to play our practice of doing it every week, is so superior to those older Christians who only did it once a month. Well, then again, as, as he says here, are you not be, being merely human? <laughs> right? No, no, this has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with your own opinion. And, and you're just, again, you're acting like babies. Because that's what babies do. They just cry when they don't get their way. Uh, and we're certainly be led by the Spirit to something far more greater and more powerful than that. Um, and, of course, the whole point is, as you alluded, it's not about anybody's personality. Uh, it's not about whether we like them better or would like them less. Uh, the question is, it's God who's given the growth, right? He's the one who's doing everything. Uh, and, and a powerful reminder to us as pastors as well, we're, we're just the servants and I did think it's interesting here that it's not the word doulos, which is often used, which is the word slave. And and that has a, a purpose and a meaning, too. But here, we're, we're the ones that we're serving God. That's what we're doing. And the way we serve God is by giving Jesus Christ to his people. Uh, and God bless those who used to give the body and blood once a week, uh, once a month rather. And God bless those who give it to everyone once a week now. But let's not get confused about what the foundation is. I think that a if we're going to use communion as sort of the foil for trying to discover how this might apply to today, I think I might have a, a little bit of a, a a more accurate example. Um, okay, I was in a congregation. I was in a congregation where instead of how often communion is done, how about the efficacy behind communion? So oh, I was yeah, in a congregation yeah. that bef that before I came. They had communion in a certain way. Everybody would, and I might get these wrong, but everybody would come up to the rail. But the rail was very small, and so only maybe eight to ten people could fit. So then they said, well, we're going to have communion then every other time we have it. We're going to have it. Everybody's going to stand in front of the pew, and then we could get like 15, 20 people at a time. The service would be less, would be less uh, uh, lengthy. Well, what happened is you would have people who then said, well, I will only take communion when it is at the rail. And other people who would take it anywhere else. So then I am a rail person or I am a standing in front of the pew person. And now there's being divided. So the point is not where the communion take place. 
And, and to add to your point, Wynn, but what is the power behind it, the efficacy behind it? And that is God. And so to paraphrase Paul, what then is the rail? What then is in front of the pew? What then is passing it around while you're sitting there? Just servants, just ways that the Lord is delivering to you this great thing. And he says here more specifically, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Just servants. You know, diakonos is that word. You said it's not doulos. It is diakonos. Through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And I just love this visual. I just planted. Apollos came around and watered. But God gave the growth. And that building upon the other hints at what comes next in our text, as you've already alluded to, the foundations. Where are we building? Uh, upon which, rather, are we building our faith? And, and, and Phil, Ned, that you're absolutely right. See, that would be a perfect example of, of being an infant, of being immature, because you, you've left the solid food, which is that it's his body and blood for us, for the forgiveness of sins, and you've gone off to something that is entirely irrelevant. Uh, again, it doesn't matter. You could do it either way, but but if that becomes the issue, well, then then that is certainly an act of immaturity. I, I'll, I'll share with you another example from my own personal Please. life. When when I uh, uh, first started the ministry, I, I had written my thesis in seminary on C.S. Lewis, and, and, and I, I look back and I realized probably the first year or so, I was basically preaching C.S. Lewis <laughs> rather than, than preaching Luther doctrine. And, and you could do worse because C.S. Lewis actually is a pretty fine Christian and, and he has some pretty pretty neat things to say and everything. But but I remember I was having a, a, a class with a, a Dr. Richard Klon. I can't remember if I've told you this story or not. If I have, I'm an old guy. Just bear with me. <laughs> old people tend to repeat <laughs> themselves a lot. But but Klon made the statement that that uh, faith means we don't have to do anything, and that just floored me for a second because I thought you know if I if I preach that no one will come to church the next week, <laughs> right? And, and yet the truth is, people do come to church, and that is what we preach. And I realized well that's not actually what C.S. Lewis says. I don't want to get into the discussion of C.S. Lewis because he's a Christian, he's in heaven. I have no doubt about that, but. But he, he never says it with that kind of clarity, that it's faith and faith alone, Christ and Christ alone. Uh, and, and I realized, oh, man, I really have to rethink what I'm doing here. But there it was. I, I, I was, I was uh, uh, immature. I was a babe. Uh, and the thing is, is you don't realize that a lot of times. In fact, I'm thinking I'm, I'm being a really good Lutheran preacher here. And I'm sure that I've had more experiences like that as my ministry has gone on that I because, see, that's the key thing. I, I think it's that last verse there, verse 9 in the section. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. There is nothing when you're a Christian except the fact that you are God's. And everything has been done and accomplished for you by Jesus Christ. And literally, what would we think we could possibly do that would compare to his suffering, his death, and his resurrection? There's nothing. There's nothing. Now, again, see, we can become immature on that, too. Uh, and, and I think I wrestled with that for a while, where I got to the point, oh, I don't want to say anything about doing good, because, no, it's just, well, of course, of course we want to love people. Isn't that what it is? That's, that's, what, that's the fruit of faith. Yeah, we would expect that. Uh, and we should talk about that, too. But but anyway, so I, I just think we all need to realize this this whole thing is done and complete in one sense. But as it works out in our sinful flesh, it's a thing that we're constantly maturing and growing in. And we should expect there to be an ongoing. But but the growth comes 
and turning back to Christ and realizing that it is all, as Paul said, it's it's God who does everything. He's the one that gave the growth. And we're just his instruments, his servants, doing whatever we do. Each one has a different role. You you now have a new role that, that you didn't have before. And it's an exciting role to be able to study the Word of God with people literally all over the world, day in and day out. Uh, that's a great blessing you have. So, well, I, 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 anything else, Phil? Well, my role right now, brother, is to throw it to a break. So I'm going to pause for just go. a few moments, and we're going to listen to these messengers. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return, Pastor Lukomsky and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. To thy strong word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO. All right, Pastor, before the break, we were just finishing up with the first set of verses. I think we kept sneaking into this next section. So let's go ahead <laughs> yes. and get all of the verses out on the table. That way we can continue our discussion. Is that all right with you? That sounds great, Phil. All right, sounds good. All right, so I'm going to be reading the rest of the chapter, which is verses 10 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that, has, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 
All right, that ends this uh, amazing chapter. I love it as Paul continues to build on his concerns for these divisions, but he's shifted to this idea of building upon a foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ, but we build upon that in the things that we do. And of course, those are our good works. Those are those are us following the law of God as a response to the faith that he has given us. Not works which will save us in the end. We're saved because of faith, but works nevertheless that our neighbor needs and that we use to serve others in Christ. So according to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I, I tell you, sometimes, Paul, I think one of his struggles is to not be boastful. Because he always talks about how he's not going to boast in anything but Christ, and he sure does boast in that. So, Paul, a real human being, I think his boasting comes out a lot all the time. But it's it's wonderful, right? Because we do appreciate Paul for his skilled master building. But then he quickly turns the focus to Christ, just as he should. Uh, Pastor, take it away from there. So, so, so we started with the image of of, uh, of a farmer. Uh, growing in a field. And, and and the point that Paul made from there was that, you know, yeah, if you're a farmer, you, you realize you've got stuff to do. You've got to plant, you've got to water, but in the end, you don't control the growth. If there's a successful crop, well, that's actually come from some source outside of you. And of course, as far as Christianity is concerned, that source is God. God is the one that gives the growth. So now Paul says, well, let's use another image. Let's use the image of a builder. And, and, and you're right. It, it, it's so hard for Paul not to boast because Paul has that maturity we're talking about. Paul understands the fundamental truth that, that I'm a sinner. And yet here's a trustworthy saying, uh, though I'm the, the foremost of sinners, that's who Christ came. He came to save sinners which is at the heart and core of what Christianity is all about. Um, and so, so at the same time, he calls himself, by the way, it's interesting in the English as they're a skilled master builder, but it's actually the same word he's going to batter about at the end of this section, which is the word for wisdom. So he's actually a very wise master builder. Although, as you pointed out, according to the grace of God given me. So you're right. He's trying to be as humble. And he is being humble. See, that's the thing. If you're Paul, you know that you're you're a jerk because <laughs> you've done horrible, terrible things. And, and, and you confess that, you know, I'm still struggling with my sin. The good I want to do, I can't do. Uh, but, but, but how can you not boast in the fact that you laid a foundation and the heart of this foundation is, well, not just the heart, it is. There is no other foundation other than which is laid in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and that's what we're building on. Uh, and I think part of the thing here too, Phil, is then, Paul isn't saying it doesn't matter what teacher you follow. And it doesn't matter whether you follow Paulus or whether you follow Paul, because they both have the same foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, but if you have a leader, a teacher who's given you something other than Christ, well, that's a different issue. That's not what we're wrestling with here. But but no, you, that, that has to have the foundation of Christ. But then upon this, as you said, different things are going to be built. Uh, and, and some of it is well, actually going to be pretty much useless. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't undo the foundation. Uh, it's just like me when, when I was preaching C.S. Lewis. I don't think he did undid the foundation of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but he just doesn't really emphasize it the way Paul would emphasize it, the way it needs to be emphasized. But I didn't lose the foundation. There was never a Sunday that I didn't teach people that they were forgiven by Jesus. There wasn't a Sunday that I didn't teach them that baptism has washed away their sins and, and the Holy Supper is the true body and blood for us. Uh, but, but again... 
that's all burnt up and gone, and I'm glad it is because it wasn't really the gold and the silver that's built upon the foundation. So, so that's the thing we need to be asking ourselves when we listen to preachers. Are, are they keeping on the foundation of Christ? And, and maybe they have some things that, yeah, we're, we're not, that can, like you say, the next guy will come in and maybe he'll teach that we're going to do communion this way, whether it's the, uh, in the pew or at the aisle. And, and that doesn't really matter uh, as long as they're sticking with the foundation um, so yeah, that that's how I would would see it here. That that we're all adding things, and and some of them really would find out that they really weren't as important as we thought they were. Uh, but as long as the foundation's there, then then we will be saved. And and everything we want to bring people then needs to be built upon that foundation. Uh, a thing that leads people back to the foundation and doesn't lead them somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we have to really focus on as pastors. Whenever we're trying something new or novel, these things must, as you, as you, as well as Paul says, but as you bring out from Paul, they must build upon the right foundation, which of course is Christ. You can't let go of that. But even those things have varying levels of usefulness when it comes to being able to deliver the message. How do you think this applies to your average Christian? Look at it from their point of view, right? So if Paul's telling these average Christians, not necessarily, you know, Peter and Apollos, but, you know, if anyone – or Cephas in this case. Now, if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, let each one's work become manifest the day, and the day being the day of the Lord, when he returns, it's all going to be sorted out. It seems to be about how one lives out their Christian life. As they build upon the foundation of Christ, as they serve their neighbor, um, there's varying levels to which a person uh, lives out their faith, lives out their faith in active love. And so there are people who will basically at the end be very surprised based on their works that they were even saved, although they will be. And there will be people who, upon looking back, will be surprised at you know how how strong the foundation was that supported their good works. So wh what do you think about that? Well, so, so here, here's the thing, uh, and, and it, it gets back to this whole idea of maturity. Uh, the, the truly wise Christian, uh, the truly mature Christian understands that everything he does, he does because of Christ. We love because he first loved us. Now, now, the fact of the matter is we do start thinking, well, no, actually, uh, there is some innate goodness in what I'm doing. In fact, I guess it establishes what I know, and I hope everyone else knows that I'm really a really nice person. Um, and I think those are some of the things then that will get burnt up at the end and, and we'll realize that the works we did didn't establish anything, uh, that our uh, foundation our status before God and even before our neighbor was all the fact that we have been dealt with in grace and mercy by Jesus Christ. And, and, and so then those works that we did because we thought that's what made us special, well, that'll be kind of burned up and consumed. But but the truly things we did just because Christ loved us, uh, and, and it's hard because we want to we want to think in terms of gratitude, but but Truly, what we do good has nothing to do with gratitude. That's a very worldly, fleshly kind of motivation. Uh, it, it's hard. Well, you got to go to the other things Paul talks about, that we become new creatures. 
which is the thing that C.S. Lewis was trying to wrestle with. But what, what he didn't understand is there is no new creature dumbness. There is new, no new life apart from the fact that we're simply forgiven uh, by Jesus Christ. Anything new and happy comes simply from that truth that, as, as Klon said, we don't have to do anything. That's what faith means. We don't have to do anything. And therefore, we're doing all kinds of things. See? So, so does that make any sense? Because I, I, I kind of think that's what he's getting at. There'll be all kinds of things that we thought probably were really, really substantial. And when the end comes, the final judgment realize, oh, that, that really wasn't all that impressive at all. This other little thing, though, like, like giving a cup of water to your child, which you didn't think that was anything. I just They were thirsty. I gave them a drink. Those are the things that all of a sudden will be Oh, that's really profound because it was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Does that make any sense? It does, except in the sense that when he says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The, the language there suggests that you know, if we think about in terms of builders, so someone's building something, and if that if that building falls apart, they don't receive payment because their you know their work is is shoddy and it's not consumed. Um, so in this case, you still receive payment because, as you've rightly said, the emphasis on is on salvation through Christ. But Paul isn't necessarily talking about how we're saved. Paul is talking to these Christians about how they should live out a mature Christian life. Which is where you know third use comes in. This idea that we now look to God's law as a guide to how we live, and they're not living in accordance with God's law. And so, while that has no effect on their ultimate salvation, it certainly there are rewards for those who live out lives uh, according to God's will and ways. Uh, on the one hand, in this life, when you do things the way God wants you to do. You know, you are blessed simply because this is the way God has designed things. Of course, there's plenty of persecutions, too, but you can be blessed through those also. But in the next life, the Bible frequently speaks of the fact that there will be those who are rewarded for their works here on earth. But this has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with how you live out that salvation. And I agree that it's not about just the feeling of gratitude, but it's still in response to faith. Exactly. In fact, it is the, the, the biblical term. It's the fruit of faith. And a fruit is just something that comes, right? If you're an apple tree, you don't think about barren apples. They're, they're just apples. That's how it is. Um, so, so there's two things going on here. And, and, and the one that you're, you're emphasizing is so important because as Lutherans, <laughs> we believe in a doctrine called the degrees of glory. And I think this drives kind of people crazy because you, well, you just got to saying we're saved by faith and faith alone. We don't need to do anything. And now you're telling me there's going to be degrees of glory, degrees of reward when we get to heaven. Uh, and yet when you think about it, well, well, of course there will be, <laughs> you know, trust me, when I get to heaven, uh, no, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more glory to Paul than there will ever be to me. And, and indeed, that doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, that's exactly what I would expect, that these great saints who have come before me who have made much more sacrifices than I have and that God has required much more of them than he ever required of me, 
I would think that they would shine a little bit brighter than I would. But but we're all going to be there. And that's the thing. It won't matter anymore because there'll be no more envy. There'll be no more jealousy. We'll just be rejoicing in that. Wow, isn't that great? Look how God used those people. But, but at the same time, though, I, I wonder if what Paul isn't addressing here is the same thing that Jesus addresses when he says, you know, if you go around doing things and you say, hey, look at what I'm doing. <laughs> isn't this great? What a wonderful person I am. And, and he says, he said, well, those people have their reward. <laughs> okay. There'll be no reward for them, just like Paul says here. When the final judgment comes and the fire comes to test everybody's work, all of a sudden these things that seemed so wonderful and profound, well, they weren't wonderful and profound at all because they weren't built upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. They had fallen back into that old maturity of thinking that it's about us and what we do. Uh, but, but I like the fact they'll still be saved because they didn't, See, the danger is that they would begin to think that because of their works, they were going to be saved. And, and that's not what we're dealing with here. These people know they're saved by Jesus. But it is so easy to begin to think, think that what we're doing, that's what's really important. And that's what makes us special in God's eyes. And that's why he likes us a little bit. I'll give you a concrete example. I think it's one of the great dangers of going to church. Now, you and I both agree people need to go to church, Right. <laughs> Because we're out of we're out of agree, work yes. <laughs> if people don't go to church. But, well, but the not for that reason, but that, I agree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm joking. I'm. I teasing. mean, don't don't tell them, but I'd do it for free. That's we would when we. <laughs> oh man, Phil, that's so true. People don't understand that no one would have to pay us to do what we're doing, and and there no most of what we don't get paid for, we just do. Um, but on the other hand, if we begin to think that because we're in church every week, that somehow that means God loves us better than the people who, for whatever weakness, are not there. Well, trust me, when you get to the end, that will all be burnt up. And you realize, oh, yeah, that really wasn't important at all. But but the fact that we went there because we love our pastor and we love the people around us. See, that's a really good reason to go to church because, you know, and you've experienced this, Phil, when you go to church and there's only a handful of people there, even though you know it shouldn't depress you, even though you know you're still going to give them the same good gospel, whether there's 10 or whether there's 100, it, it does. It, it, it impacts us as pastor. It impacts the other people there. You, you ought to go to church because you love people. That's why you ought to go. And, of course, you ought to go because, you know, there God's going to remind you that he loves you. So that that would be my understanding that, that we've got all these things and we think they're going to be impressive. But in the end, we'll see. No, the only thing that was really impressive is what we did uh, because of the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, Paul mitigates mitigates that thinking in verse 18. You know, that's when he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. And then he, he repeats, really, in verse 19, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Back in chapter 1, he said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? So the problem that, that really is going on here, in addition to the things we've already mentioned, is that, frankly, they're trying to operate their faith life and this congregation according to Worldly desires, worldly standards, worldly ways. The world is interested in things like status. The world is interested in things like, you know, the, the, you know, you need to work your way up and you need to have authority and power and exercise that 
in either good or bad works. And no, you know, he, he says you have – he's talking to the teachers, I would say primarily, about making sure they build on the right foundation. But I also believe he's speaking to all of them in that as we live out our Christian life, we must build upon the foundation that is Christ and then, you know, strive to do things according to God's will, of course, because we need forgiveness when we don't. But in between those two thoughts, he throws in verses 16 and 17. I'd like to get you to comment on that because it's it's a it's almost like a um, the editors, at least in my Bible, put it in its own paragraph. And it seems like it's almost inserted. So I don't know if this is one of those occasions where Paul, you know, this just comes to him by the Holy Spirit or maybe he just thinks of it. But he brings up the fact that they are God's temple. And, and this seems to have or not seems it does have some significance. Do you not know that you actually that word is plural. So y'all do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then now the the justification for not destroying the work that you built on the foundation is because you are building up a temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This he says right after building upon a foundation, making sure it's built with materials like gold and silver rather than straw or hay. And so so now we've got a third image, right? So we had the image of the farmer, and then we had the image of the builder. And now, like you said, almost out of nowhere, we've got this image of, of the fact that we are the, the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells within us. Um, and, and, and the language changes, too, because we ended up with the fact that the fire would come and, and consume all this stuff that we thought was important. And, of course, it had of no value at all, really, uh, although there were other good works there, too, that really did count, uh, giving the food to the hungry and, and drink to the thirsty, precisely because even the people who do them didn't think it was impressive. When did we do this? Right. That's what it says in the judgment. But but now we've got something that's really kind of scary, uh, Phil, because it does use the word destroy. This is, this is not something where there'll be anything left or saved. Uh, and, and, and you're right. It, it makes you wonder, what is it now that Paul's concerned about? And of course, then he immediately also goes and starts talking about the the the, the wisdom. They thought that they thought they were wise, and yet they were just deceiving themselves. Um, and, and I... I would want, this is where I would go with it, but again, I cannot say for sure. I, I'm still in my own foolishness here, but I, I would think that Paul would be going to those things now that are replacing the foundation, that that when you start replacing the foundation with whatever it is, with, with a particular teaching or a particular work, um, then then you're destroying the temple of God, the, the, the temple that has been grown by God, uh, the temple that has been built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the, the temple upon which God's spirit dwells. So I would, I would interpret that he's talking about the danger that we would start to put our faith and our trust in ourselves and our works, uh, or even in our own faith. Isn't that ironic? Because <laughs> you right. can do that. You can think it's your faith that saves you, but that's not what faith is. Faith is that Christ is how we're saved. Which is maybe why then he ends up with this powerful emphasis uh, that that it's all you are Christ and Christ is in God and therefore let no man boast or certainly let, certainly don't boast in men. I, I don't know, Phil. Where where would you go with it? Because again, this is not the easiest of chapters. Well, I do. I like your idea that there must be something more because he just said that the work you build upon the foundation, if it's burned up. 
in the day, which means the day of the Lord, the day he returns, that he himself will be saved, but is only through fire. So something is different. And so when yeah. you if you think about building earlier, you talked about him being the the uh, it said wise uh, architect, actually, in the Greek skilled master builder. Right. Sophos architect. Yeah. Oh, I think. But anyway, so he's the skilled architect. So an architect knows that, you know, if the place burns down, but the foundation's still good, you can rebuild it. And we're always constantly exactly. by the by God's power rebuilding ourselves every morning, as Luther would say, we wake up and we pray that we fall into no sin. And then at the end of every day, we pray for all the sin we fell into. And so here there is something different. He's not explicit about it, but if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. So we do know that that the fastest way to destroy anything is to destroy the foundation. So at the very least, we can say that if you remove Jesus Christ as the foundation, that is certainly one way that God's temple is destroyed. So at the very least, we can say that you're absolutely right in your analysis there. Whether that's the absolute only thing Paul's talking about, I think that might be a little lost or up to interpretation. But it's certainly worth remembering that Jesus Christ absolutely must be the foundation of what we do. But there are things that you can do, and not to take the analogy too far, but there are things you can do in a building that will start cracking the foundation. And so there are plenty of poor works, poor witnesses, poor teaching, false doctrines that will start to erode that foundation. So you can't just say, well, you know, X, Y, and Z, they still believe that Jesus is God, so therefore we, they don't have to worry about anything. Well, then, you know, refer to the scriptures where it says even the demons know that Jesus is God and that God is one. So we see here that um, there is something that's that's very dangerous to our souls, which is why we strive to cling to God's word and cling to Christ as our as our foundation. And, and you know, there's certainly this emphasis about wisdom, isn't it? Uh, and, and the contrast between, in fact, I had it from the very beginning, uh, the contrast between the wisdom of the world and uh, which and, and the wisdom of, of the uh, of, of Christ, which, of course, to the world is folly. Uh, and, and you've got that whole business about Paul and, and the uh, what is it the first or second chapter that we we preach Christ, and that's that's uh, we preach Christ crucified and and that's folly to the world. So I, th I think you're right. I, I, it's probably not that you can just pin down one particular thing, but it is kind of a blanket warning to, to all of us that we need to we need to look at everything we're doing. Uh, so so it could be that you begin to think, oh, it's all about my works and everything I'm doing. Well, then of course you've laid a different foundation, haven't you, other than Christ. But but I, I think you're right. It could be the other. It could be, oh, well, you know, I've got Jesus. Therefore, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do anything because I, you know, I, I have that doctrine. Uh, well, yeah, that's probably replaced the foundation, too, has it? Because I don't think that's at all what it means when we say the foundation is Christ, that we can just do as we please. Uh, and all of that would be kind of a human way of dealing with it, wouldn't it? Uh, both yeah. of those is kind of a human, a human understanding. Oh, well, we're saved by faith. Well, I guess that means I don't need to do anything. That's a very human way of understanding. Or, well, I do enough of these things, then God's going to love me. Well, that's a very human way of doing it, too. Uh, and, 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 you know, the one thing you can't get away from is this conclusion. So let no one boast in men. Don't think about any human way of doing it. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Why? Because you're Christ's. 
in Christ as God. Uh, well, that's where we're going to have to leave it today, Pastor Lekomsky. Okay. We're actually right. at time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a great All conversation. Right. I'd like to thank my guest thank this you. morning. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, thank you. The Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Brasics on KFUO. Catch him on Saturdays at 9 a.m. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue 1 Corinthians with Chapter 4. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.